correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey folks, welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. You've just got this Steve solo tonight. Well, not exactly solo. I do have a guest, but we'll get to that in a minute. Before I do that, I'd like to talk to you for a minute about another podcast here on the D20 Radio Network. That being The Forge, run by uh, GM Chris and GM Hooley. I do know that they've got another episode recorded they haven't released yet. Don't know exactly when it's coming. But uh, if you want to you know, find out all kinds of cool stuff about creating things for your own Genesis games, or possibly to publish on the Foundry, or anything like that, you know, check out The Forge. I'll put a link for it in the show notes, but I believe the website is forgegenesis.com. And... Uh, yeah, you can check that out. Great show, great people, good time. All right, so we have a guest this week, and uh, originally Steve was supposed to be here, so it was supposed to be a three-person conversation, but Steve unfortunately had to miss tonight's recording, and uh, so it'll be just me and our guest, who this week is YouTuber XP Love Cat, and uh, well, when we were talking, she brought up a potential topic that we could talk about that I thought was wonderful because of kind of you know, where the show goes, but uh, we'll get to that in a minute. So uh, welcome to the show, Leslie. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, Thank you for taking the time to join us. So um, I guess, you know, if anyone hasn't seen your channel, um, I've watched a little bit of it. I, well, I watched way too many things on YouTube for my employer's liking, but (laughs) 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 you want to give people, you know, who may not have heard of you or, or found your stuff a a brief kind of overview of what you do in general? Yeah, of course. So my YouTube channel is all about role-playing games. I um, do GM advice, player advice, and then I also talk specifically about different systems. Primarily right now, I mostly talk about Call of Cthulhu and Cyberpunk Red. Those are kind of my my top two role-playing game systems. But I have played a ton, and I have a backlog and, and ideas of other systems that I want to bring to the channel. And then in addition to that, I also do scenario reviews. So anyone that's pre-written scenarios, I walk through. It's kind of like half of a review and half of here are my tips to actually make this better at the table. Like, what do you actually need to run this scenario successfully? So, yeah, that's kind of what I do on my channel. Cool, cool. Both both of those systems are, are very, very good. Uh, Steve and I are both big fans of Cyberpunk Red 2020 before it and that whole genre in general. Yes. And um, we both like Call of Cthulhu. My preferred flavor in that kind of genre is actually currently Delta Green. Okay. But, yep. you know, it's it, it's not the same game, but it's awful darn close. It's pretty close. You know, and, and I think in all honesty, you could take almost any scenario for either game and run it in the other system rather painlessly. Yes. So I'll let you introduce the topic because, I don't know, we don't normally do that. And it seems like fun. And you broached the idea initially. so. What are we talking about this evening? Today, we're going to be talking about the benefits of playing different role-playing game systems. So I think in having experience dabbling in a lot of different systems, I've 
really appreciated the opportunity to do that. And I wanted to talk about maybe why you could consider doing that and what the benefits are. Cool, cool. Well, that's, I mean, that's a subject near and dear to Steve and I's heart because both of us own way too many different game systems. And I'm not even going to try and count the numbers that are sitting here around my desk because I might be in double digits that I can reach without moving my chair. (laughs) Okay, that's a lot. That doesn't count my PDF library. Oh, yeah. We don't talk about the PDFs. (laughs) No, no, we don't speak about the PDFs because am I the only one that forgets you own things on PDF? Um, no, I, I often do forget that as well. I, I've actually gotten in the habit of checking first, though, <laughs> before I rebuy something. <laughs> I would the one day I'm scrolling through my library on drive through and I went, I own that. I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it is, it is you know, it's a really cool idea. And I'm sure, you know, most of our regular listeners are already playing a lot of different games. But I felt like it was also a good thing, you know, most of those of us who like to play different games always have that problem of getting your friends to play the other games with you. Yes. And so I figured if nothing else, this could be a great episode for you to point those friends at and go, here, this is why you should play this with me. <laughs> yes. But I think, and I'm sure this is somewhere in your list of things here, playing different systems also can help you so much as a GM because it just gives you different ways to see things. But before I steal all your thunder, Do you have, because notoriously Steve and I just fly from the seat of our pants and have no outlines, whatever. So if you have what, I don't want to jump the shark and, and, you know, run off down a track ahead of you. But uh, did you have anywhere in particular you wanted to start with that? No, I think that's a great place to start. I mean, I I have several ideas, but we'll we'll get to them. I don't have any prioritization order in which we we should talk about them. Okay, Um, cool. So I think as a, a game master... There's a couple things that I've noticed with playing different systems. The first is actually being able to pick up on rules more quickly, like having exposure to different mechanics and different uh, ways that the different games work. I feel like it's easier for me to catch on. And it's also easier for me to remember like specific rules because I just have more exposure and more experience with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that's one thing for game masters, but it's also an expansion of your creativity and like having exposure to different, all different genres and and tones and the way that you approach the game can help you bring different things to the table when you have a range of experience. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's, that's a thing. And I think too, you know, different systems kind of emphasize different elements of the game. Yeah. And having that, that knowledge of, other systems either can give you, okay, I'm going to borrow this mechanic from this system and put it in the one we're playing. Or you can say, okay, I've got this story I want to tell. I want to use this system because it does the thing I want to bring out in the story. Yeah. You know, and you might have to do some rework to get your setting in the system jiving, but you know, different things I've heard, you know, like the, the panic dice from alien. I hear a lot of people just rave over. Mm-hmm. So that might be something you could figure out a way to steal and put into another game system. You know, off the top of my head, I can't quite think of an easy way with a lot of systems, but some. Another one is like, uh, I've heard people use Bardic Inspiration and in other systems because they just like that, like extra bonus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, different stuff. You know, 
or the clocks from um, the Forged in the Dark games, mm-hmm. you know, Blades in the Dark, whatever. Uh, you know, a lot of people will steal those and use them. Any number of things like that. You know, the advantage mechanic from D and D is. Yeah. You know, I think did, now does Seventh Edition Call of Cthulhu officially adopt that, or do a lot of people just use it? Um, so what Call of Cthulhu does is they have a bonus and penalty dice. So if you have a role that you automatically feel like the player character would be better at, then they can get a bonus dice and they roll two D100s and take the better result. And then the opposite for a penalty. Okay, so yeah, it's they're calling it something else, but it's... Exactly. Yeah, because there's so many. And, and I remember when we interviewed Jay Little, the game designer, he talked about you know, his collection of games. And he said how so many of them, you know, he said it's not that the whole game is the greatest thing ever he said but almost mm. every game you ever pick up and he does a lot of board game design stuff too so he has you know huge collection of everything but he said most of them they have some little nugget that you could look at and go oh i could do this you yeah. know and to me it was really neat to hear that perspective from someone who well in his case not only is he a you know professional designer he also is actually a game design instructor at a university yeah it's interesting that you say that, actually, because um, I am going back to Cyberpunk Red. This game, I one of the elements I don't like about it is that there's so many skills. Like, it, it's a little bit overwhelming for me personally to look at the list and, like, see all these different skills and hunt for them. But the aspect that I love about that game is the lore. And, like, you are you are in this environment that's crappy and... The world has gone to craziness and like that, I feel like they do a good job of the life path and the character creation of like getting you really immersed in this world. And so I kind of just, I can ignore the fact that I don't love that there's a million different skills because I'm just so engrossed in the actual environment and the play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, Cyberpunk Red. Now I came to that via Cyberpunk 2020, which obviously is the earlier edition of the game and actually has even more skills. Yes. I've never played it, but I have heard that it is more intense. <laughs> but it, at the same point, they did a uh, actually a good job. I think of trimming down the skills. I still think, you know, like you said, I think there are skills that likely will never see use in a game mm-hmm. or at least most games. However, I respect, I think I respect that they're there because they enable you to use that as a focus of your game should you choose to or your character it yeah exactly it kind of makes you think a little bit more creatively about what you could do because when you're looking at your character sheet and you're like oh i have performance voice or whatever whatever specific random thing you would have it it is a trigger for you to remember and be a little bit more creative about solutions in the game Mm -hmm. and i think going with that if you're gming a game like that if you have a player that's put points into one of those kind of obscure skills, yeah, you know, throw a bone every once in a while, give them a way to use it. hundred percent. Even if it's not actually that important, if they think it's important, that's the thing. I mean, I actually had it story time here. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar at all with the Palladium engine rift. No, okay. I don't think so. I have gone on record before saying, I think it defines the concept of skill bloat. Okay. But they, I mean, it has a skill list that I want to say they put out a a consolidated list 
15, 20 years ago, and they continuously add new skills and new books. But it was four columns across the full two-page spread. Oh, jeez. On each, four columns on each page. But I had a character, a guy who made a character running one of their games, and the character was completely themed around Twinkies. <laughs> <laughs> which, if you go back, I think it's like episode 18 or something, which is, anyway, I, I've told this, talked about the character before. It was called the Twinkie Avenger. But just because he went completely off the rails making this character, I'm like, okay, well, you get Twinkie lore, too. Because lo and behold, six months later, the player found a way to use Twinkie lore in the game. Uh, of course, yes. <laughs> if you have it, you got to use it. You know, and, and so it, it, it was just kind of a, and honestly, it was a, a kind of a weird moment where I had gone, oh, oh, what if they don't know that? Crap. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but he found a way, more as the player, but to justify that he knew who Loki was because there was a Twinkie ad in a Loki comic book. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and everyone thought it was cool because, you know, I mean, look, gaming is half about making absurd connections. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think also um, in the realm of, what different systems bring and like what the focus is of different systems. It makes me think a lot about role play versus combat versus exploration, whatever you kind of want to call that investigation, because I, I've played different systems that emphasize different parts of the game. And sometimes I feel like doing a system that's more focused on role play. Sometimes I feel like doing a system that has more crunching numbers and being more specific about getting the perfect combination of things so that I'm super strong. Like those are two different experiences that I, I enjoy both, but I want at different times. I'm, I'm with you there. I, I've said that before, you know, like that's one of the things with me for like D&D &D 5e, especially if GM wants to put miniatures on the table, turns on tactical math brain, Steve. Yes. <laughs> and and while I I enjoy that, that's for me usually that's not what I come to an RPG for. Mm -hmm. And and like I said, I, I'm not trying to judge anyone, make any you know statements that oh that's not the way you should play RPGs. If that's the way you and your table like to play them, good for you. For sure, right? You know that's the whole thing. I think behind all of this, you know, it, if your table enjoys a specific thing, then have fun with it. Mm -hmm. But like you said different systems can allow you to kind of explore different avenues because your only limit is your imagination. Yeah, for sure. I think um, early on and in getting into role-playing for me, my, the second system I played was D and D 3.5. The first system I actually played was dark heresy, which we can talk about that a little bit. Cause that was super fun. Um, but D and D 3.5, I played that for a while and my group got into kind of a, just a rhythm or a cadence of it was basically all combat. We would mm -hmm. come to the table, we'd have the grid, we'd do our combat, we'd do our roles. It would take forever because no one knew what they wanted to do. And <laughs> and it was like, for me, I didn't realize that there was so much more to role playing because I was only exposed to that very small, you come to the table and you do combat. Mm -hmm. And you just listen to what your dice say and then we move on. So... Um, I'm very thankful that my group decided to go in a different direction and, and try some other games. 
but I think it can be helpful to just see the different side of what is out there to see what you end up liking more. Because for me personally, I'm similar to you. I tend not to do more of the heavy combat battle map style games just because it doesn't jive with me as much as the role play free imagination does. Yeah, I mean, and uh, I've mentioned this, I think, uh, recently on a, on a different episode, but recently the the group that we have that gets together on Monday nights online and, and we play a variety of stuff, but we've played a couple of like little like games actually from the 200 word RPG challenge. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know a younger me would have looked at those and went, that can't be a whole game. There's not, a, there's no rules. Right, there's yeah. not enough rules. <laughs> and maybe some of it is that I'm now way too many years older than I was then, but they've been really, really fun because what they usually do in those 200 words is they give you a really strong theme mm-hmm. and then you just all get creative based off the theme. Yeah. It's similar to like a writing prompt. It's like, yeah, you know, here you go. Run with it. You know, like we played one, it was called, what was it called? Heavy metal wizard sorcerers. <laughs> and it, you had a bunch of these keywords that you assigned a value to. Okay. That are all, you know, based off of, you know, various things that you would, you know, thunder and ice and fire, you know, common, we'll say lyrical themes and a lot of, you know, classic metal music. And then you would combine three of them to try and cast a spell. Okay. And it was just, you know, and you got to describe what it looked like and just, and that was the rules of the game. Yep. But, you know, so what the guy who was GMing it did was he then made a a, a counter thing to that that was the the pillars of pop and so ended up we were trying to disrupt a taylor swift concert (laughs) you know which like i said it was just you know it was all good fun and of course you know like two or three of us are like old school metalheads and then we have the one person who is younger and listens to a lot of modern pop Uh And, and so it was just kind of you know there was also a lot of fun at the table because of different people's experience levels but like i said they're 200 word game there's almost no rules yeah but we had so much fun with it did you successfully disrupt the Taylor Swift concert? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> we we did, but Pink got involved, and then she was initially on the pop side, and then she came over to the metal side, and yeah, it was it was pretty wild and crazy. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> if I remember, she she somehow uh, launched into a cover of Ronnie James Dio's "Rainbow in the Dark." <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I, I don't know how, you know, every, everyone's musical tastes, but that actually would be interesting, I think, if she did that. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get a petition going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. So, okay. So you can get different feels. You can learn different mechanics. Where else could we go with this? I mean, you can borrow mechanics. You can. I think uh, I'll, I'll hop back to my first game was Dark Heresy. And before, so for anyone who doesn't know, this is a Warhammer 40k role-playing game, um, Mm -hmm. which is like grim, dark future, no one's the good guy (laughs) kind of thing. Very dark British humor. Yes. This, so this was my first role-playing game. I also didn't know what Warhammer 40k was. Aha! So it was like a, a double introduction to this whole crazy world. But where I want to kind of go with that is I feel like diving into different systems also gives you an opportunity to experience different lore 
that you might not be familiar with and you might end up really, really liking or being interested in. So I've had a lot of fun with different lore and also different time periods. So I think Call of Cthulhu is really strong at being able to play in a lot of different time periods. Um, recently, Chaosium came out with the Regency Cthulhu uh, source book, so it, it's more information for you to be able to run in that time period. So different lore, but also history, learning history and experiencing different time periods and what you enjoy playing. Yeah, I know a while ago we talked with Seth Skorkowski. Yes. And he said he thinks he's honestly learned more history researching for Call of Cthulhu games than he did in history class. A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and, and I don't know if you do, you know, our listeners know I will launch into things that I picked up off of Ken and Robin talk about stuff, which is Ken Height and Robin D. Law's podcast. Okay. And both of them have this absurd knowledge of history. Like, I think Ken a little more so than Robin. But, like, it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah. For me, my Google searches are very strange. So <laughs> it's always just like, what? when was this invented? Did they have fire alarms in the 1920s? Like, very niche-specific things that I need to know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which, I mean, for me, that just sets, sets me off creatively going down, well, then I could this and that. And, you know, and even if... You know, like you're, you're, like you said, you're researching real history, but you can take that and take it to your completely made up world. Mm -hmm. You know, I know uh, another podcast that I listen to has talked about a scenario he used in a game, and he's a big fan of like Warhammer fantasy type stuff. Okay. So somehow in this, he used, there was actually somewhere, I'm guessing late middle ages, whatever, there was a, a situation where a pig was put on trial for adultery. <laughs> I don't know any more than that, but it actually happened. Wow. And he used it in a game uh -huh. because sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> so true. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, that's the thing too, that I've found for me as a GM, different settings just resonate better with my creativity, my thought patterns, you know, like for example, like I, as I, I mentioned early on, or maybe it was before I turned on the recordings, I don't remember, my kind of preferred flavor of Call of Cthulhu is Delta Green, which is technically, I think the history starts in 28 at, at the raid on Innsmouth, mm -hmm. but is typically played, say, from the 90s through modern day. And that kind of time frame just jives better. Plus, I always been a fan of, you know, be it Tom Clancy novels or a lot of like police procedural TV shows and all of that kind of ties into that kind of investigation, conspiracy, whatever. So mm -hmm. that for me, that's a, a very easy to think in framework. Yes. Yes. I actually, um, when I first played Call of Cthulhu, when I first GM'd it, I was like, well, I need to do modern because that is going to be easier for me to improv, which I did feel like it was easier for me. But I find that I actually enjoy other time periods more mm -hmm. just from like the experience and being able to get into a world that feels very dissimilar to my mm -hmm. world. So I think it it's an 
playing different systems or different time periods allows you the opportunity to try things that you might be a little bit scared to do. Because I was definitely scared to be like, I don't know anything about the 1920s except Prohibition. So I'm going to just not do that. (laughs) But I'm so glad that I did because I really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. No, and and yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, you have people too, like, you know, Chris Spivey kind of explored some really, really intense themes with, you know, Harlem Unbound. Mm Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. And, and and I think that's the other thing is, you know, some of us play games to get away. Some of us play games to explore feelings or emotions that maybe we don't really know how to deal with in real life. Mm-hmm. But a game can be an avenue to kind of do that and feel a lot safer doing it. Right. Definitely. And and I think that ties into, like you were saying, with the different time periods or systems and, and what they focus on or whatever you know yeah like call of cthulhu look most of us in our real life if there's really weird creepy noises in the basement of a strange old abandoned building we're just gtfo <laughs> yeah i'm not going in there but in call of cthulhu it's fun to go see what they are to see what strange and horrible things happen to your character yes yes i also this is a little bit of a tangent but <laughs> I also feel like role-playing games give you an opportunity to embody a different person, like a different type of person. And I personally have felt like I've been able to explore being more confident or being more charismatic. These these things that I may not have previously envisioned myself as being um, and have helped me like gain real-life confidence of, oh, actually, if I can role-play this, I can actually be this if that's who I want to be. Um, so it's kind of similar to what you were saying about exploring different emotions of exploring being a different person or having different personality traits. I think it's really unique and awesome about role playing games. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, certain game systems make different elements of that easier at times. You know, I mean, everyone's familiar with fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons and, one of my big gripes with that is that character advancement is boring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you're, once you make your subclass choice, you're just kind of on a track other than multi-classic, which is valid. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so many of you know, cyberpunk red, you get improvement points. You can put them in whatever, whatever skill on this whole sheet of skills you want to, because that's where you think your character is focusing. Yeah. You know, you have, in, in the case of Cyberpunk Red, you have one skill that's unique to your role or class effectively, but they've also actually in Red, they added multi-classing effectively, mm-hmm. you know, so you can even branch out even more than the old game. And and for me, that's a, a thing that I really like from, in a way, it is a mechanical thing, but to me, it's a mechanical element that transfers to role play because in my mind, a lot of times what a character is good at defines a lot of who they are mm-hmm. in the world. Right. Do you have a system that you think is the best mechanically at leveling? At leveling? Mm-hmm. Boy, um, I, it's hard for me to argue with the XP spend systems like, um, uh, like, like a cyberpunk red. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually, it, I, although I really like the way Delta Green does it as well. Delta Green, you don't get to choose, but the way Delta Green does it, the first time you fail a roll in a session, 
you put a little check mark in the box on your character sheet next to it. And then you add, depending on which edition of the character sheet you have, anywhere from 1 to 1d4 to your skill rating at the end of the session. Mm-hmm. And so I, you, you I, learn by failing, yeah. Right. I really like that aspect of it. Plus, it also kind of enforces that you only get better at skills you use thing. Right. You know, which I, I think that's a really simple, elegant way to do that in that case. But I, I tend to, you know, like I said, like a cyberpunk red or really any game system that says, here's XP, go spend it on the things you think you get better at. Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, that's, which is honestly a lot of games anymore. Right. I don't know, like I said, to to point at one specifically, other than really liking that, you know, learn by failing mechanic in Delta Green. I can't think of anything, you know, specific. Mm-hmm. How about for you? Um, so we actually end up playing a lot of one shots. So there is not often a situation where we are following a character throughout multiple levels anymore. We, I mean, we used to, um, but I tend to like having the freedom of feeling like my character can die at any time. And I'll be like, okay, moving on. That's fine. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would say right now I, I we're my group and I are more in a phase of just like churn and burn the characters. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a freedom to that though. You know, and I like I, I've had people ask me, why do you want to play Call of Cthulhu when you know your character could die anytime they open a door effectively? It's like, well, that's kind of and, and it's hard to explain like and I'd be curious for your take on this, too, you know, because Call of Cthulhu is is a horror RPG and some people don't get why would you want to play a horror game? And it, for me, there's kind of this weird, very entertaining kind of like third person view of it all. Yeah. And you get to make suboptimal decisions and not worry about actually getting hurt by the consequences of that yourself. Yes. It's almost like your expectations when you go to the table is, I'm probably going to die or go insane. So let's have fun. Like it, exactly. it, it, yeah. it kind of relieves it. Yeah. There's a system called um, 10 Candles. Have you played that? I have not played it. I've heard of it. And I've actually contacted the uh, the designer. Someday we're going to get him on the show, hopefully. Yes. So I am in love with that system. But the concept is that you start the game with 10 candles. You make decisions throughout the night. And the slowly, the, slowly these candles will start to go out. And it raises the, t- the tension and the atmosphere and all of that. But you know at the end of this game, every person's going to die. Like, you know going into it that you will not survive. But it's mm-hmm. about telling the story and experiencing, like, what are those choices that you make when you are in a horrible, hard situation? Like, mm-hmm. what does that actually look like? And what is the story that you can tell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been one that, like I'm really interested in. And another one I'd like to play that not so much the atmosphere, but uh, Dread. OK, yeah, the Jenga Tower. I haven't yes. played it. <laughs> I haven't either. I've heard it played a time or two, I think. I heard uh, James D'Amato play it on the One Shot podcast, but just the, you know, the built-in tension of playing with the Jenga tower. Yep. I mean, it, it's real. <laughs> for sure. Oh, for sure. And I also think that those physical ways of building tension can help you learn as both a player and a GM how to 
emulate that when you don't have the physical reminder because you, there are feelings and there are things that you experience at the table when they're there that you learn how to replicate. Um, so I think that's just kind of another another benefit to trying out some of these other systems that you might not play all the time, but it, it's a unique way to help you learn how to build tension and mm -hmm. other skills. Yeah, and, and sometimes too, just there are games that, may not be mechanically much of anything, but are just great, crazy fun. And mm -hmm. I bring this up because you mentioned Dark Heresy. Yes. I ran a game at a convention in April called okay. Havoc Brigade. It's written by Grant Howitt. Have you heard of it? I haven't heard of it, no. So it's Grant Howitt, famous for Honey Heist, but also Heart Spire. So he, he does kind of both sides of things. Havoc Brigade is designed as a one-shot con game and comes with pre-gens. I think it's you can it's pay what you want on itch. It's like 13 bucks on drive-through. Um it's 20 some pages including all six pre-gens. One of the pre-gens by the way is six goblins. <laughs> but amazing. the premise of this game is everyone plays orcs and okay. it's kind of orcs in quotation marks and you are sent into the city on some mission to do something somewhat ridiculous. It could be you need to steal the princess's unicorn and flog it for beer money. You know, it, but the whole idea of this game is basically to take all those crazy concepts that your group goes, boy, that would be funny, but we really shouldn't, and do them. Yeah. So the Dark Heresy tie-in is that little thing in the kind of toward the back of the, the notes on the game, Grant actually playtested the concepts in Dark Heresy. Okay. Yeah, so that gives you an opportunity to see how you could play that system. <laughs> well, it's it's not at all. It's it's literally just dice pools trying to get four or higher and opposed roles whoever gets more successes wins. Okay. So it, again, for a con game it's it's delightful because it's very very simple. And then you also have the the chaos pool. Like you put a big bowl in the middle of the table. And depending on the situation, as the GM, you just chuck dice into it. Mm -hmm. And at any point, players can choose to dump the chaos bowl and use those dice in something they're trying to do. Very cool. The game I ran started off with them going to hunt owlbears to sneak into the city using the, like, basically as Trojan owl, Trojan circus trained owlbears. <laughs> Ended with them flying the prince that they had to kidnap out of the city on a herd of flying pigs that they stole off a barge. <laughs> Fabulously ridiculous. Yeah, but but that's what the game's for, and sometimes those just cut loose games, especially for like a convention or like you said, if you play a lot of one-shots, mm -hmm. it could be just, okay, we've done a lot of serious stuff, let's change it up, let's do something crazy. You know, that's the other thing, is, is you can use different systems you know, as, like we mentioned before, you know, the different feels, but you can also find one and use it as a palate cleanser to kind of just blow off all the tension of this game before we go to something else. Yes. Yeah. Or even a breakup. Like if you are someone that likes to play longer campaigns, it can be a nice break and just like, let's have something super silly, fun, kill the characters, go insane, whatever you want to do. And then we can go back to our campaign where we're a little bit more serious and have a long form story going. You know, let everybody get the giggles out, if you will. Yes. And, and I mean, like, because I don't know that I've 
ever been around a gaming table where someone didn't quote Monty Python at some point or think <laughs> if they said it or not, because that's just how it was at least are. thought. <laughs> yeah. On the subject, I'm really curious to get that game and see what it's like. But anyway, I backed it on Kickstarter. So. Oh, nice. Very cool. But uh, actually, I wanted the dice catapult. That's what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, I mean, any other thoughts as far as, you know, obviously other than just hearing the enthusiasm that so many of your friends that play different games rave about playing different games with? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think one of the cool things, actually, that I've recently experienced is that playing different games can be an opportunity to trick your friends who aren't into role-playing games into playing them with you. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. so I have an experience. I, um, two of my best friends that we've been friends for forever, they had not previously been role players, hadn't really played a game. They had showed like a little bit of interest, but wasn't ever their thing. Um, when Regency Cthulhu came out and I went to Chaosium Con in April and their pitch was essentially like, well, if you have friends that like Bridgerton but they're not role players, pitch it to them that way and try to get them to play. And I'm like, this might work. So, <laughs> so I, I pitched it to my friends. I was like, you know that show, Bridgerton? Well, let's play a game where we can pretend we're there. <laughs> and so I, I, I got my friends who had never played a role-playing game to the table to experience it the, for the first time because it was a, a setting that they enjoyed and it was something a little bit different. And so that was great fun to be able to bring people into the hobby because I chose to play a different system. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's well, I, I used that actually the last time I ran Cyberpunk 2020. I'm like, look, you know that the, now these were gamers already, but it was like, OK, what game system can I get them to play other than D&D? &D? I'm like, well. Mm -hmm. Cyberpunk 2077, you know, the game that everyone's talking about that's oh, yes. just about to come out. Y'all want to play the game that's based on? <laughs> yes. But like you said, and there are there are so many games out there for, for IPs now. You know, I mean, Blade Runner and, and Lord of the Rings and, and Alien and, I mean, the, throw a rock and you'll hit it, right? You know, Star Wars is obviously mm -hmm. one of the ones that's been, you know, Star Trek. Um you know, I just mentioned the Monty Python game, which is probably a little less serious. You know, there's the Walking Dead game that's in, in development. You know, the Avatar game that broke all the Kickstarter records. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and so many more. You know, uh, even some based on board games. You know, they, they've made a role-playing game based off the Root board game. Yes. Um, you know, like you said, that's the other thing. It, it, and... In a lot of cases, yes, you could adapt that to whatever system you're already playing, probably. But in some cases, like, why do the work? It's already done for you. Right. You can just be creative. You don't have to come up with all the hard bits. Exactly. Make it a little bit easier on, your, on yourself. Pick something that's already in the realm. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and yes, this does lead inevitably to stacks of books that you haven't gotten time to read yet because you thought this would be a cool thing to do for this. You know, I've got a stack sitting to my left. It's, I don't know, two feet high of mostly stuff that I haven't gotten to read yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I got, oh, that looks like a really cool concept. I could do this with it. And so I pick up the book. Mm -hmm. You know, fortunately, you can, you could also buy PDFs, you know, in, in, in a, you know, the way things work 
you know, nowadays and, and they don't take up the physical space, but then most of us forget that we have them and, you know, but anyway, yes. <laughs> they can, they can also be uh, more cost friendly as well. Yes. They're usually cheaper. And as, as uh, one of my listeners put it, the last time I moved, I realized how much I like PDFs. Oh yes. That <laughs> is such a good point. <laughs> All right. So any, any further points on this before we get into a couple other things? Um, I think the other thing that I was thinking about is I have a very specific game I'm thinking about here, but it allows you the chance to experience different things at the table. So if we're talking more broadly, horror, you might not have tried horror role-playing before. So trying out a system would allow you to delve into those different genres, but I'm, thinking specifically about cult divinity lost um which is very heavy personal psychological horror lots of content warnings so if you are going to look at the book or get interested in it know that there are some content warnings you should check out before you delve into it but if you are interested in kind of experiencing this different type of role play or different type of genre environment i think that games like cult can be a really awesome opportunity to do that yeah the the steve that's not here has referred to cult before as religious trauma the rpg yeah that that sums it up pretty well (laughs) Uh, i i've heard it played and i think it's what i've heard it played i think it's amazing as much as i like horror games i'm personally at least at one point i was personally a little on the fence about trying it but i i'm pretty confident that at this point i would be willing to you know give it a shot i also know and just as a side note if anyone kind of wants to dive into a little more of this why would you play horror games we did a great episode last november i think with bridget jeffries talking about why horror and i mean look bridget could sell me ice if i lived in anchorage so you know (laughs) very true (laughs) hi bridget we love you yeah, Bridget is amazing. But, you know, just talking about, you know, why horror and what's so fun about it, right? But, yeah, just the, the cult also does a very good job of, you know, it, it has baked in safety tools. Yes. Which sure. can be a very important thing with, with horror games, you know, just to make sure that because, and then specifically where cult really does dive in on that, that you have a, a mechanism as a player or, you know, you can even use them as the GM to go, okay, no, no, we're not going there. And it's okay to do that. You know, even in a game that's yeah. not horror, if, if, if a game is going to an area where you're not comfortable, bring it up to your table because it's about everybody having fun. And if, if you're being made uncomfortable in a bad way, then you're not having fun. For sure. Yep. You know, and, and obviously I think most people have heard of the X card, which is kind of the, the big, simple safety tool a lot of people talk about. But I've also heard with that, there's, you know, most people think the X card. I've also heard of what they call, I think it was the O card, which is used in that system, which is a card for, okay, I look like I'm really struggling with this, but I'm good. I want to keep going. Yeah. Something similar is the um, the light system. So green, mm-hmm. yellow, red. I, I like that a lot. Just be like, Yep, I'm green. I'm good to go. Or yellow, let's let's not go any further kind of situation. Um, and then red, obviously. Yep, change the topic. That's the the X. 
So mm-hmm. um, I've, I've enjoyed using that as well. And even if you don't use them ever, just having your players know that it's there as an option can make it a safe space. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're saying from the very beginning, I care about you and I want to make sure that you're having fun. We are having fun here and it's, it's a safe space even if no one ever touches the X card or ever says anything. Mm -hmm. And I think a a topic that I had never heard of until I heard another podcaster or topic uh, point, I had never heard of until I heard another podcaster bring it up about using safety tools from the GM's perspective. It is actually, he said he finds it freeing as a GM to know that he has those safety tools in place. So he doesn't have to put the thought into, am I pushing limits? that I shouldn't because my players have the mechanism to say, stop. Right. It's less pressure on you as a GM to like feel into the body language and make sure you're always extra layer checking everyone. Yeah. And I think, you know, with different systems and I think too, in a different systems context, you could use safety tools in a more mechanical sense, right? Like we'll call it the red light, green light, you know, the light system where like, okay, hey, wait a minute, stop. I need to understand what, I, I'm confused by this new thing in the system. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like kind of, in a sense, repurposing the safety tool to a mechanical context of, all right, I'm confused or let's slow down a second. You know, I, I don't, yeah. I, I don't want to say it in a way that's cheapening the use as an actual safety tool. But I think the concept is valid in terms of, Boy, don't keep running on ahead here. I'm still trying to catch on to what's going on. Sure, right. And I, I actually think that's um, a good point to call out about maybe the the potential roadblocks to trying new systems is that the first session of a new system can be a little bit clunky sometimes, depending mm-hmm. on what you're, the type of game that you're choosing to run, how rules heavy it is. There can be uh, chances where the role play is going to get interrupted because you want to look up something or mm-hmm. the combat might be a little bit slower because you have to look up rules or look up spells. So I, I think that's just something more of a frame of mind to have that expectation going into a first session with a new game. Mm-hmm. Or, or even just a player that's new to the system. Yes. You know, because, and, and I think that's the other thing that I know I can take for granted with a new system is because I've been playing games on and off for 30 some years. And, and like you said, you, you get in this frame of mind where you're okay. That's kind of like this mechanic. Okay. That's how mm-hmm. that works. If you don't have that frame of reference, it can be some cases, it might actually be less confusing for a new person, but oftentimes because they don't have that frame of reference, this whole concept that you went, well, it's like this thing that we did in this game a long time ago. They don't have that. So yes. it's, it's not, as intuitive to them. Sure. I mean, it's like for me, you know, I work on my, my own vehicles a lot, cars, whatnot. Well, okay. I've never taken apart a Toyota engine, but I've taken apart GM engines, Honda engines, and a Toyota engine isn't going to be the same, but a lot of, you know, fundamental concepts are still the same. So I know that this thing has to be in this general area or whatever. Yep, you could find yourself the way around. <laughs> yeah, you know, or, or you know, you could you could relate that to you know cooking or any any number of things or painting or music or whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's that is a, a valid point. You know, to to keep in mind that 
everyone else may not know it as well as you do. And sometimes you got to slow down. For sure. I was at um, a convention, I think it was Gen Con, which is in Indianapolis. And I was playing a Call of Cthulhu game with someone who had either they have not played role-playing games before, or this was one of their first times playing it. And they didn't know what a D100 was. And I'm like, there's actually something really magical about that, because I remember when I first got into role-playing games, how foreign the whole concept was to me. And I'm like, what is what is a D4? Dice have six sides. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a problem in Dark Heresy. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I... Uh, I think I just say that to be mindful of when you do have someone that is new, be very kind to them <laughs> because you were once that person too. Yes. Yes. So I don't know. I mean, I think we've gone around about that a decent amount here. Um, also wanted to give you a chance. You Obviously, you have the YouTube channel. I know from having heard you talk other places, you have some other things you do. So yeah. love to give you a few minutes to kind of just Talk about your channel, anything else you do, anything else you want to shout out, um, anything like that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so related to conventions role playing, I am also on the Council Council of Shuguts, which is a council that is organizing the Miskatonic Repository Convention in October. It is an online convention where we play Call of Cthulhu games and scenarios that individual authors have written and posted on the Miskatonic Repository. So it's it's a celebration of content creators. It's also a really awesome opportunity if you've never played the game to come and join us because it's free. So you can come and hop into a game and have a good time that weekend. Um, in addition to MRCon, I also am a developmental editor for fiction. So if you are writing a fiction book, then hit me up and we can get connected on that help with some developmental editing or book coaching. And then I also do some development and developmental editing for scenarios and role-playing games as well. Very cool. Very cool. And, and just probably the creator types out there know what developmental editing is. Would you care yes. to expound on that for people who are going, what the heck is developmental editing? Yes, of course. So in the editing world, um, often when you think of editing, you think of grammar punctuation and developmental editing is not that. That would be kind of more referred to as copy editing. Developmental editing is looking at the core content and making sure that um, the flow makes sense in the context of like role-playing games. It's looking at balance for rules. It's looking about the experience for the planning person, the GM, who's making sure that all the content is organized in a nice way and can be easily accessed within the scenario and also what the experience is going to be like for players at the table. And then in the in the realm of fiction, it's looking at like character development and plot and subplots and making sure nothing gets dropped, um, making sure that it's actually interesting and keeps the, the attention throughout the entire book and working on those more high-level uh, concepts and making sure that all of them are clicking uh, throughout the entire novel. Okay, okay. That sounds... Like something some of us scatterbrained people could use a lot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think with that, then, obviously, and check out your YouTube channel, XP Love Cat. You do lots of cool stuff there. Um, I think it's time for Game of the Week. Excellent. Game of the Week. 
So, all right, we'll do game of the week. And um, would you like to go first or would you like me to? I know you told me you've listened to the show enough that you kind of have a, a sense of what it is. Um, I'll have you go first and give give me just like the, the down low. Okay. Just make sure we're, we're good. Okay. So I'm going to go to a game and we actually did. You'd have to dig back in the feed. I don't remember what episode it was. We talked to the creator about this game when it was on Kickstarter. And that's Fragged Empire Second Edition. It's from an Australian designer. His name is Wade Dyer, publishes under the imprint of Design Ministries. Now, it's a post-apocalyptic kind of sci-fi game. Doesn't sound too unique there. But this is a game, now it has its own original system, which is, I haven't honestly, I got the books recently. I haven't dived into the system a ton, according to Wade. He's calling it mid-crunch. Based on what I've seen of it, I would call it in some ways similar to like a 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, except it's built around 3D6 instead of a D20. Um, but still, you know, you roll, you add some bonuses, you try to get to a target number. You know, decent skills list, but not absurdly long. Different gear will give you bonuses, etc. The thing about this game is the world. And now it's in its second edition, so he's had some time to play with it. But the world in this game, it's actually kind of post-post-apocalyptic. It's like a whole bunch of stuff happened, and then this is kind of sort of like the recovery from all that and what has happened. And it's, you know, he lists the kind of um, the influences or the kind of the thing he's, the feels he's going for as Cowboy Bebop, Firefly, Farscape, and the Millennium Falcon scenes from Star Wars with a little bit of The Expanse. But the thing that I want to say about this book is these are books that you could put on your coffee table. If you, I, I, like I said, I backed the Kickstarter, but the art and the layout in these books, I mean, like showing Leslie here on the camera. It's beautiful. It is. And the interior art and the layout, I mean, is just trying to find a good, you know, just a good image to, to show you that will show up decently on the cameras. Yeah the art and the layout it's just oh my gosh are these books gorgeous you know and i would you know i've said before his his listing for the original fragged empire is the drive through listing that i will forever judge every other games against uh-huh because he he breaks it out and he's got you know tutorial videos and now his listings for his his other titles aren't as good as that but it's like if you would look at the the drive through listing for the original Fragged Empire core book, like I'm looking at this and I'm going, gosh, I wish everybody <laughs> would break it out like this and 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 tell me, you know, this much about the game in their drive through listing. And the other thing about this is is Wade has this really unique philosophy about world building. It's and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember it quickly off the top of my head, but it's a third. Um, what do you say? A third known a third fresh and a third new so what he means by that is is a third of this is stuff you can relate to that you've seen before a third of it is stuff you may have seen before but with a new twist put on it and a third of it is just brand freaking new you know crazy stuff that you haven't ever seen before and i feel like his you know like the game has the fragged empire has eight core species, none of which are humans. Mm, mm -hmm. 
You know, in fact, humans don't no longer exist in this in in the setting. Okay, very cool. You know, so it 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 is so yeah, post post apocalyptic sci fi where your people are just now returning to space following a century a century of hiding during the aftermath. Good grief, I can't speak this evening. <laughs> following a century of hiding during the aftermath of a galactic war where all kinds of stuff happened, and it's like I said, it. Look, I bought the books to look at the pictures. I'll be honest. I want to use the setting for sure. And my general rule of thumb is I'll at least try the original system once to see how it works. Mm-hmm. You know, because you, I, to kind of backtrack a little bit, I don't know if you've had this experience. I have read games that felt like one way reading them. And then when you play them, you know, like you might read the game and it feels, oh my gosh, this is crunchy as all get out. And then you get it on the table and you're like, oh, this is easy. Yeah. Or or maybe not to those extremes, but it'll read one way and play a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage people, you know, as much as you can, give the original system a try because there may be reasons that the designer put those things in there. Right. Um, so, yeah, like I said, my, my game of the week this week is going to be Fragged Empire Second Edition, which PDF wise, uh, there's two core books. There's a rules book and a setting book and then there's also a third one that is a location guide now i think the location guide is pdf only the other two books are available in print where to find them in the u.s i don't honestly know like i said i got my kickstarter copies you know, like a month ago but yeah it is a absolutely gorgeous game even if you look at the listing and while i'm thinking about it i'll throw that up on our little green room channel so that you could look at it if you like yeah that's awesome i should have done that before because you know i'm new at this you know i'm only a hundred and some episodes in (laughs) still Um, do (laughs) but yeah i mean it's it's just a like it's neat it's different it's it's cool yeah i'm intrigued by they're not being humans you know and now they're it's not a cheap game i mean the pdfs are like 22 bucks a piece you know sometimes pdfs are really cheap especially for lighter games but like the artwork in this game to me is is worth the price of admission. So Right. Right. Very cool. All right. Well that's mine. So my game of the week is Kids on Bikes, second edition. So they just came out with a, a second edition and I, I got the email a couple of days ago that physical copies should be sending soon. So I'm excited to get the physical. Um but I for I already have played the first edition. And what I really enjoy, there's a couple of things I really enjoy about the system. The first is your skills each have a different dice in a standard dice set. So, for example, your brains might be a D4 and your bronze might be a D10. And so there's a nice little grid on the character sheet where you can put each of your dice. And it just it's like super satisfying to me to be like. (laughs) Go ahead and roll your charm and like D8 and you just like go to your character sheet and pluck it off and then roll it. (laughs) So that, yeah, it's really fun. I enjoy the mechanics behind it. It's relatively very simple. It's a super simple system. It relies more heavily on role play. Um, And then the other aspect that is super fun about it is based on the title, you are playing a kid. So generally anyone under the age of 15 at least that's how i've played it is under that age so it's just a lot of fun to be a 10 year old sometimes Mm -hmm. because we have to be adults so often in our daily life 
Yeah. And that's not fun. <laughs> no, the adulting part of life is not fun. It's not fun, which is why we play roleplay games all the time. <laughs> not so, enthusiastically. Yes. So the the ten year oldness of of myself gets to come out at the table, and I get to whine, and I get to be immature, and, <laughs> and do stupid things. And so I I very much enjoy the system for that. Um, it's also relatively cheap. I believe the hardcover is maybe thirty dollars, um, which on the, on the realm of role playing games is on the cheaper side mm-hmm. for a physical copy. Um, and I'm I'm sure the PDF is less than that as well. So I. Yes, that is my game of the week, the the new edition of Kids on Bikes. Cool, cool. And actually, I can tie this back into our topic today because we ran a game, well, we ran, we played, uh, one of our listeners ran it for us, and it actually, we released it as a, a short actual play on the on our feed here, a, a real short Monster of the Week thing. Mm-hmm. And he stole the setting creation setup from Kids on Bikes, and that's how we started our Monster of the Week. Okay. Yeah. So again, experimenting with different systems, you pull this over from here, and you know, unless they've changed it with second edition, Kids on Bikes had a really neat setting creation thing where basically, much like a a powered by the apocalypse game, you kind of go around the table and okay, what's this cool thing about the you know the, the town we're playing in, and then the next person gets to decide something else and. And you trade, you even trade like um, within player characters of like, what does your character like most about that character or so it starts to build relationships as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's something, and, and that is kind of at the core, a lot of these powered by the apocalypse games, but that is something I will wholeheartedly steal for dang near any game I run at this point, you Mm -hmm. know, is, is okay. We're going to, you know, what's it, you know, what's the way that your character and your character have connected in the past, you know, that those kind of things are just gold to steal from some of these, these smaller, lighter narrative games that can enrich any game you're playing. Mm-hmm. It also sets the tone for a collaborative game as well. When you're like, you're pu- putting it back on to the players and saying, let's mm-hmm. create this together. We're, we're doing this world thing all, all together. And it's, um, a really cool way to just set that tone. Yeah, and then the players feel more kind of uh, more ownership and and just more involved. Yeah, which is, absolutely. Uh, always leads to a better game in my my experience. Definitely. All right. Well, then I guess with that, um, like to remind all of y'all, you know, any of our stuff, you know, you can find links to Facebook, Twitter, our Patreon if you think that we deserve you know a little extra support. Um, drive through affiliate link uh what else uh oh there's also a link if you're a local to the pittsburgh area or want to come in we have a local convention coming up the end of september beginning of october called pittsburgh gaming expo or pgx there's a link in show notes to buy tickets and a discount code to get you a little bit more off that already great price so uh like i said if you're in the greater pittsburgh area or feel like coming here you can check that out and aside from that, I think uh just like to remind everyone, well, actually, before I do that, I want to say thank you very much, Leslie, for, for coming and, and talking with me here this evening. And uh, it's been wonderful to just, you know, get some, some different thoughts and opinions and insights and, and all that stuff. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. And I guess with that, then, I'd like to remind everyone to be kind to each other, get out there and play some RPGs. Yeah.
intro and outro music by the band 12 noon you can email us at me and steve rpg at gmail.com you can find us on twitter and rpgs find us on facebook at me and steve rpg podcast on discord at me and steve rpgs and as always all of these links are in the show notes thank you and be kind to one another for the cigar cigar 20 bucks dog you gotta go down the street to the store and buy that